Now for the scripture readings, which is Galatians 1, 13 through 24 verses, and that can be found in the New Testament on page 187 if you would like to follow along. You have heard, no doubt, of my earliest life in Judaism. I was violently persecuted, persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in, in Judaism beyond many among my people of my uh, same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who sent who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles. I did not confer with any human beings, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me, but I went away at once into Arabah and afterwards I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to visit Sepphoris and stayed there, with 15, stayed there with him 15 days. But I did not see any other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was, known, I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, that are in Christ. They only heard it and said, the one who formerly was persecuting us is now proclaiming the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorify God because of me. This has been a season of patience uh, for my family and I. As you go through the process of learning you're about to have a child, and then waiting and waiting and waiting, and then the child comes, and you still learn a lot of patience. doesn't stop there. Uh, just last night, we were enjoying that every trip out is a little bit more difficult with more kids, and especially with little ones. And we get in the car, and everything, we're finally ready to go get some food. And the little baby decides, I don't want to be in a car seat. And so she's just going to keep crying and crying just because I'm in the car seat. And you can't do anything about that. So you're like, okay, I can make it through this. And, you know, your older child is wondering, why is baby sad? It's like, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. And you get down the road, and you're following a car, and it's driving 10 miles under the speed limit. And you're just like, why can't we get there faster? I just got to get to that destination. I got to get there, and everything will be okay. And we've been walking through a series called Growing Up, where Paul is calling us to spiritual maturity, calling us uh, to get into the Spirit, to live and walk with God's Spirit so that we might uh, bear fruit uh, like love and joy and peace, and today, patience. And I think that's actually really hard for us in today's culture, because we are a culture of immediacy. I need things right now, or I got to get out of here. It's a microwave culture. If I can't microwave it, I'm not waiting for this thing. And uh, I enjoyed that when, when Beth and I moved from Atlanta to Milwaukee, we had a microwave that, we had, our wedding plates were square at the time, 
And they would turn in this microwave and they would just scrape and scrape. And so we decided, okay, we've got to get rid of this microwave. With a move, there's a reason to do it. When we get there, we'll get another microwave. And we got there and we're like, well, there's not a lot of counter space and maybe we don't need a microwave. And so we went a few years without a microwave, much to the frustration of all visitors of our house who kept showing up and expected, oh, if I want to make this like hot tea or coffee or something, I can just, I can just do something really quick. Wait, what do I do with my leftovers? I got to put them in the oven? How did people make it without a microwave? And that's just, you know, humorous, and it's, we, we kind of know that experience. But that has really stumbled, like, poured over into the rest of our lives that we have a really hard time with patience. Now, I think there might be a reason why. I think we have typically only talked about patience in one way, and that's a very passive patience, which means you just sit there and wait. Let the clock keep going, and you do nothing. And that patience is just being perfectly still. But there's another kind of patience, and I think one that we're called to, an active patience that knows how to move at the right speed to achieve a goal. Let me give an illustration. We got a 20-something-year-old living in their parents' basement. Now, that's actually super, super common in today's economic situation. No negativity from me on that front. But here are two scenarios of that. You've got the kid at home who's sitting around eating chips, playing games, not getting out, not trying to get a job, not trying to do anything. That's not being patient. You have the other one who's spent years in school and has gone and and trained and, and did as much as they could. They can't find a job because the economy is not the way it used to be and they're trying and they're, maybe they're picking up a job that's not quite their, their gifts or their skills, but they just will take anything. But they're just longing for that day when they can live out what they see as their calling. And it's a kind of patience that says, I, I don't have it yet, but I'm going to keep trying, I'm going to keep working, I'm going to keep striving for this thing, but in a healthy way, in a patient way, in a reserved way. Think about maybe the farmer who doesn't just happen upon a great harvest, but took the time to plant seeds and cultivate the soil and water and didn't grab the fruit too soon at the end. The patience to be a part of the process to get the thing in the right time. And so I'm going to define patience today, and then we're going to look at how I think Paul lives this out. Patience is a disciplined passion for a future goal. It's disciplined because what is patience without self-control? If you think about the night before Christmas and your kid is jumping off the walls and running around yelling, gifts, 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 gifts. Like, that's not patience. That's (laughs) a little bit chaotic. But there's a little bit of, there's got to be control patience. There has to be a passion, a disciplined passion. So if you don't care about this thing, that's not patience. You just don't care. Uh, If you don't like movies at all, you're not patiently waiting for the next Star Wars to come out. You don't care the next Star Wars is coming out. So there's this disciplined passion and for a future goal. Because sometimes we kind of 
feel like nostalgia is our goal, but we can't have a patience for something in the past. It's always something out in front of you, something we strive for, something we wait for, something we long for. And so patience, this disciplined passion for a future goal, how do we see that in the life of Paul? Now, remember that we've been walking in the book of Galatians. It's a book that he, he ministered in this community, and now we're at a moment where they've turned their backs on him. They're questioning whether they can follow him. They're turning their backs on his message. And he's struggling. Uh, what do I do with this community? He could just leave. He could just ignore them. He could just turn his back on them. But how is he living out patience with them? And I think, you know, to use our definition, I don't know that anybody is going to question that Paul is a passionate person. Anybody think Paul's not passionate? He has no cares in the world. His letters are filled with passion. And he tells us in the story uh, that we read today about the way he's tried to live out that passion in his former life and in his new life. Now, I, I got to stop and pause and tell you that I absolutely love the first verse that we read because Paul gives us a little glimpse into some psychology of both him and his audience. He says, you've heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. He knows you know the story. Uh, maybe you've had that moment in your life, something that you didn't want everybody to know about. Everybody knows about it. <laughs> like, okay, I know you know about the story. I got to go back into it. I got to talk about it with you. And he tells the story about his earlier life in Judaism. And we could spend a whole day here, but um, this word is actually only shows up here in the New Testament, Judaism. And the other places we tend to see it is in some texts that are in the Apocrypha, uh, which some Christian Bibles have, and uh, a lot of that in-between stuff between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in that, there's this revolt in which uh, the, the Jewish people are fighting about how do they live out their faith, um, how much do they accept Greek culture or their own culture. Um, but, but scholarship shows that most of the time when they're using this phrase of Judaism, they're talking about all the culture and all the traditions and all of the, like, social markers and boundaries of their faith. So not like their ideas, but the right way of living it out. Um, so he's saying, I used to, um, you, you know, you've heard of my former life in, in trying to live out these customs, these traditions, this culture. How, how has his passion come through in that? He was, his quote, violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. He wasn't just, oh, there's other people that are doing something else, but he was, he was using his, his violence to stop people who were doing a different way. And yet, somehow, he goes from persecutor to one who is being persecuted for that same church. He talks about his passion like this, I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age. So he talks about that rat race of getting ahead, you know, of... Uh, we were all competing at who can follow these traditions better. I was at the top. Nobody could pass me up. And now he's the person going around saying, you don't got to follow these traditions. There's freedom in Christ. We're all united. We're all one. He's all out in his passion. And his passion moves from 
caring about his ranking with other people to talking in our story about not really caring about whether he went and talked to the who's who of the church world, that that doesn't matter. He talks about his passion like this, I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. Now, um, that zealousness was often seen as being in that violent sense. Um, and there's some more stories you could share into that of all of the ways that zealous stuff got, got tied into violence. But he was zealous, not, he doesn't say for God, but for the traditions of my ancestors. But the way we did things, that's what I want to be violent about. That's what I want to uh, persecute people over. And yet Paul turns that passion later into proclaiming freedom for Gentiles. How did Paul transfer that passion from violence to peace? Now, I talked about a disciplined passion being patience. And for Paul, that discipline changed when his discipleship changed. Uh, he's someone who thinks he's following God and acting violently against the church. And then suddenly, he takes on uh, the lordship of Christ and all things change. And I love the way that he contrasts his own pursuits with God's. After all these things Paul said he was trying to do, it says the phrase, but when God, and the subject changed, instead of him being the one who's acting throughout the story, but when God, we're going to get some new things. We can have a ton of ideas about how we can help ourselves or help those around us, but when God works in us, everything changes. Paul says, but when God, who had set me apart before I was born, literally set me apart from my mother's womb. Now, we can't help in our current age that we immediately go, oh, from my mother's womb, let's talk abortion and all of that. I don't want us to miss the beauty of the image that Paul says here, that, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, like before I could even make my own efforts, before I was my own agent trying to do all my own things, even then God was cultivating something in me. That God predates Paul's efforts. That God has always been trying to cultivate something out of Paul even before he was born and had his own opportunity to do something else. But when God who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace... Paul doesn't think he deserves that calling. He was called through grace. It's something God initiated and developed him for, but who is Paul to deserve that? And a major part of the discipline of patience is recognizing that we are the imperfect recipients of grace, and maybe we're not the perfect all-knowing people who know every right way to do anything, um, but patience involves learning God's timing and learning God's direction. But when God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. That's where Paul's eyes are opened to follow someone else. Not to follow his traditions, but to follow Christ as Lord wherever Christ would take him. And I love, uh, you know, it's not in Galatians, but in the book of Acts, we get a kind of parallel of this. Uh, Peter 
who's trying his best to follow God, gets a vision. Hey, eat these things that I said are bad. God, I'm not, I can't do that. You told me these things are unclean. I'm not going to do it. And the kind of humor of him denying it three times. But who, are, who is Lord? Is it God or is it the tradition? And so Paul was turned by God who was pleased to reveal his son to him. Now, there's actually something interesting going on in the text here. Uh, our translation says, to me, that God revealed his son to me, which probably gets that axe-like vision of the Damascus Road experience. Uh, but the Greek is literally in me that Christ, you know, that God was pleased to reveal his son in me and Paul that the revelation of Christ was coming through Paul into the world. Again, an act of grace that he didn't deserve, but that he brings good news everywhere he goes and that Christ is seen through his ministry, not just Christ revealed to him. And I want to spend a moment just to read something to you. Um, the former uh, dean of the Duke Divinity School in his commentary on Galatians wrote something that I thought just we should probably sit with he says, Paul does not tell this story as a testimony of what Jesus did for me, as though the important thing were how Paul's sins were forgiven or his needs met. Rather, this passage is a testimony about how the revelation of Jesus Christ turned Paul's world upside down and made him into an instrument of God's reconciling grace, reaching out to those who had previously been strangers. We must not dwell on the interpersonal experience of conversion. We should dwell instead on God's act of seizing us and empowering us for tasks we could never have imagined. And he's trying to articulate for us of Paul's going about his way. He's trying to live passionately and he's got this, his certain kind of discipleship and yet God decides to move in Paul in new ways to reveal Christ in him, but through him to the world. And Paul couldn't live the same after that. And Paul was given a task. He had a future goal. When God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles. And Paul took that seriously. Uh, we got some text place names in our uh, text today of all the places he starts traveling, bringing the good news. Many of our letters of Paul are all said to be written to people from different places. And it wasn't about Paul. Paul's ministry was about revealing God and Christ to those who were outsiders, to those who were strangers, to the outcasts, to the Gentiles. And I think too often... In churches, we, we decide that our goal is, I want lifelong Christians to randomly show up here and be our lifelong Christians in our church. And we don't as often decide that our calling is to the outsider, to the stranger, to one who doesn't think like me or look like me, to those who are different than us. And Paul doesn't make himself the hero of the story even if others were tempted to. He says that the people in Judea, uh, they, they hadn't seen him in person, 
But they knew that the one who formerly was persecuting us is now proclaiming the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. That doesn't mean, even when it goes well, even when you're living out your calling and, and people are, people's lives are being changed, it doesn't mean our lives are going to go smoothly. Because Paul's life sure didn't go smoothly. The invitation to peace and justice and freedom was often met with rejection and violence. And Paul had to live out his faith with patience, every day going and proclaiming, here's this thing God is calling us to, and yet never getting to fully yet live in that. God's knocked down these dividing walls, no longer Jew and Gentile, no longer free or slave, no longer male and female, and yet I still got to live in this world where people aren't living that out. And I got to keep calling people to it, even when they push back, even when they don't love me, even when they hate me for it. How do I live with that passion and that discipline for that thing God is calling us to, and yet the world isn't ready? It rejects me, it rejects God. And I think that just as Paul was moved to and fro, always with the same mission, we ourselves are moved wherever God wills with the same mission, the same call to proclaim the good news to the outsider, to the lost. And, and so I want us to envision a, a driving scenario. I, I started talking about how the fact it's tough to be driving with your baby crying and the car in front of you going 10 miles under the speed limit. But I think there's something great about the visual image of driving, that you have a destination. Um, that you have a goal. So maybe you're a taxi and you're trying to bring people out of something bad into peace. Maybe you're an ambulance and you're bringing people out of brokenness into healing. Whatever that driving image, you're, you're in this vehicle, we're going somewhere with God where he calls us. And there's all sorts of discipline on that passion to drive. There's speed limit signs. Are we in a moment on a stage where we seem like we're driving in a school zone? You gotta be conscious and aware of the fact I need to slow down. Do we hit that part where uh, we're on the highway? We were shocked when we went, um, when we moved back to Texas and they had built this kind of toll road and the speed limits are 85, which means people are driving 95. But are we in that season of our life where God's like, hey, speed it up. And if you go too slow, you're a danger because other people are trying to go at speed and you're not at the right speed. So what's the speed limit around us? Is it, is it slow? Is it fast? Maybe we see a yield sign. Imagine that. Instead of where I want to go and how quickly I want to go, let the next person in. Let them have their road ahead. Are we in green lights where we've been waiting and, and we've paused and God opens that green light and says, hey, go. And if you're in some areas, you get honked at. If you're not ready when that green light hits. Maybe you're coming up on something and you see a red light. Where are those areas that we need to pause so that others have an opportunity to pass through? Maybe because it's Jackson, we came across a roundabout 
And you got to know which angle to get out on. You can't just keep driving in circles. Which way is God calling us out of the roundabout? Maybe there's construction. Where do we need to make bridges and repair the paths to make it safer for others to travel? Where do we need to make new roads where no one has gone before? We are on a journey together, and that destination is out in front of us. God calls us towards more justice, more love, more peace, in a world that wants often more violence, more hate, more ugliness. And when we're on that path and we're driving, when do we need to hand the keys over? Because everyone kind of likes being the driver. Some people don't like driving, but people tend to like being in the driver's seat and having control. But when is it a moment that it's about giving up power to someone else to let them use their gifts, let them use their leadership, their skills, and hand those keys over and say, you got it. You know, there's plenty of people who leave the church because they never were given that opportunity. They had skills, they had uh, gifts, and we didn't engage them, we didn't invite them into anything meaningful, and they left and they go elsewhere. It might, it might be another church, it might be another volunteer organization, but if we don't hand keys over to people, uh, they lose the hope that, that there's something for them, that they're invited on this journey together. When someone shows up in our space, um, do we welcome them by just being nice, or do we welcome them by finding out how to partner with them, how to give them a platform, how to use, uh, let them use their gifts and their skills for God's kingdom? For those of us who have who've driven further, who have more miles on the odometer, how about making those last miles one where you're looking to find someone where you can mentor them, where you can show them uh, wisdom from the journey, where you can hand keys off to those uh, who have that passion really kindled? How about for our, our younger members, the new cars, the new vehicles on the lot? Uh, are they willing to show up to join us on that travel together? To learn the skill of inviting others to drive too? Because that's not just a, just not a, a, a service, a gift of those who have made a long journey, but it's also about those who just start out on this journey, always looking for ways to empower others. Now, when you hand the keys over, there's a temptation. Anybody ever seen a backseat driver? Because it's not really handing the keys over when you decide, I still got to tell you exactly how you drive this thing every step of the journey. And so uh, we have that temptation. We have that thing, especially when you're used to driving, you're used to being in control. It's hard to let it go because you learn that people brake at different speeds, they accelerate at different speeds. When do they turn their blinker on? There's a lot of patience from being the back seat in the back seat. Now, I gotta, I gotta share with you about something on my heart. What I hope, what I desire when we're on the spiritual journey together. You might not know, 
But I think every single Sunday, I get some suggestions, some advice. Hey, you know that point in the worship service? What if we had gone left? And we talk about what if we had gone left. And then I see the next person and say, we should have gone right. We talk about what if we had gone right. And so often we get so lost and distracted in all of the directions and, 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 and what if we had done this or that? And please, what if just one week we said, hey, remember that part of the service? I saw God there. God spoke to me then. You know, when we prayed, I felt God's presence for that moment. Not logistically, maybe we should have walked somewhere else to do the prayer, or maybe it should have been a different part of the service. Just sit and look and see where God is on our journey and just celebrate that God's there. Can we look for God? And how do we go and show up? Also helping to show God. Christ in us, through us. Hey, you know, I was really uncomfortable at this part of the service. Maybe I don't, I'm not used to getting out of my pew. But you know what? I could tell that God moved through me and, and, and I was welcoming. This person's life was different because I got out of my comfort zone. Are we willing to go on the journey that God is driving us to? Because I think if we're wanting to be patient, we've got to have passion, we've got to have discipline, we've got to have a goal ahead. And if anything should be encouraging, it's that there are people like Paul in the world, people who are our absolute enemies, who suddenly can become your brother or sister. Change is possible, and it's worth struggling and fighting and, and all of the traffic and all of the, the speed bumps along the way, because God is good and has a beautiful destination ahead of us. Are we disciplined? Are we letting God be our Lord? Are we passionate? Do you have a heart for the things that God cares about? Do we have a future goal? Are we looking to the future that God invites us all into? If we want to be patient, like all of these fruit of the Spirit, it's about living and walking in God's Spirit, spending time in prayer and in worship, and all of us can have that fruit. And it's not just those who are here. You can be a shut-in and be the most patient, uh, loving, peaceful spirit. You can have a hope for something that you know that you won't even get to participate in. God's patience is for all of us. And the big C church, the church greater than us, beyond us, before us, after us, um, will continue on, and hopefully we can live out our calling with a disciplined passion towards that future where God is calling all of us. Would you choose the spirit of patience today and join us on the path of God's kingdom? In just a second, I'm going to ask Brentley to say a word of prayer for us before we move on. And I'm going to, I want to say a, a thank you 
to everyone who's in that spirit who sees that God's here today, that no matter what the timings are, uh, we are in God's time this morning, and hopefully God is speaking to you uh, through your presence here in this community. Usually, I say a word of benediction and you can go meet me in the back. Um, But I've learned that when there's food items in there that they want my presence for, that I am just delaying our fun fellowship and our food and stuff. So I'm going to say a word of benediction, and I'm actually going to go out towards the fellowship hall. So if you'd love to to chat, to ask questions, to to speak with me, um, you can find me in there. And I hope you'll join us for uh, cinnamon rolls and coffee and juice and all sorts of wonderful treats. Hear this word of benediction. Uh, It comes from Psalm 145. As you go from here, remember this. The God we serve is merciful and compassionate, endlessly patient and full of faithful love. He is trustworthy in all that he says and faithful in all that he does. So go out in confidence, knowing that God goes with you. Amen.